Hello, welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast with your host, Ben Granis. This is week two. This is exciting. We have a completely new guest on the podcast, and he is awesome. His name is Adam Campbell. Last week, we had the world's greatest supercross racer. This week, we have a professional photographer and videographer named Adam Campbell. I forget if I said Adam Campbell already, so we're going to say it again, and you're going to hear him introduce himself in just a few minutes. This conversation's awesome. Hopefully, you've already checked out the video that was cut up and produced on Instagram or on the Maxis Tires YouTube page. Either way, make sure you follow Eyes Up Ride on Instagram, Maxis Tires on Instagram, and subscribe to Maxis Tires on YouTube and the Eyes Up Life podcast wherever you're listening to this right now so you don't miss the next 19 episodes after this. That'll be rolling out throughout 2023. So before I cut over to the conversation with Adam, I just wanted to share a little bit of background on what Eyes Up is. In 2021, I wrapped up working at a summer camp in Massachusetts and set out on a 7,000-mile bike ride around the United States to raise awareness for distracted driving and digital wellness. And along the way, I fundraised uh, $42,000 for a nonprofit called Text Less Live More and spread the good word about the Eyes Up mission, look, listen, live with people that I stayed with, people on the side of the road, and everywhere in between. And now I'm working on getting into the public speaking space, so speaking to young people, organizations, communities, and doing projects like this one uh, with Maxis Tires athletes and affiliates. So back in late October, I went on a 6,000-mile road trip in a truck this time to interview 21 of these Maxis Tires athletes and affiliates and did all of the recording, video production, and interviewing all by myself. So now these conversations are getting turned into beautifully edited videos, not by myself, but by a third party that Maxis has kindly hired to do this. I have no experience with, well, that's not true. I have very little video editing experience and am not very efficient. So know your strengths and outsource when you need to. Uh, so these conversations that I had over four weeks uh, in the late fall are now getting turned into these beautiful videos and these lovely podcasts that you're listening to now. So thank you for being here. I appreciate it. And um, not only are these conversations benefiting uh, the general community and hopefully making our roads safer for everyone, all users of the road, but they are incredibly interesting to it's it, it's it's fascinating to get a peek into um, the lives of of these athletes and professionals in worlds that I don't know a whole lot about. So um, hopefully you get as much out of these as I did um, while I was actually talking to these people. So without further ado, 
Here is my conversation with Adam Campbell. Oh, and here's a little bit of background. Shortly after this uh, chat I had with Adam, we went on an incredible bike ride in the hills of western LA. We were on the Mulholland Highway for a while. Uh, That's a classic one. Lots of expensive cars driving like not good drivers and uh but yeah so beautiful fun to get out on a ride with someone who loves biking um like i do and uh yeah anyways okay conversation with adam enjoy it bye-bye let's start by having you just introduce yourself and say where you're from okay my name is adam campbell i'm a commercial photographer based out of southern california um avid cyclist uh, we're here in Westlake, California, at the Stone House, which is a restaurant that a lot of, like myself and my cycling friends, that we leave out of here pretty much every weekend. Um, to ride here is a pretty special, special area. I mean, first of all, the, the grounds here are amazing. The restaurant's great. Um, as far as the cycling goes, I mean, you can just climb for days. We have a ton of different loops that we get to do out here. Um, Big climbs, small climbs, descents, go down to the beach. It's just, it's a great place to ride. And uh, for me, uh, there's safety in numbers. So every time I ride here, there's always a group to ride with. Um, You know, and and I'm not saying that the cars out here are any better than anywhere else, but at least they're aware that we ride out here because it's such a heavy cycling community out in this neck of the woods. So... It's a great place. Are you from out here, Adam, or where are you from? Yeah, I'm actually, I live in Sherman Oaks, so I have to drive about 30 minutes to get here. Um, and again, I, I really don't dare to ride where I live. It's not, it's definitely not a cycling friendly area compared to here, so I so, have to drive. So tell me about your young life and how you got into uh, photography. Like, wh- where did you grow uh, up and how did you get into it? Great, actually kind of a cool story. So I grew up racing ATVs. Um, I was a pro ATV racer for about 10 years. I've been racing since I was a kid. And how I got into photography is I was actually in front of the camera as a test writer for an ATV magazine um, for quite a while. Um, At the time, I was working in the movie industry um, doing special effects. I always enjoyed photography. I always had a camera with me. Did I think it was going to turn into a profession? No, I I didn't know. Um, So I was a test writer for a magazine for quite a while in front of the camera, and I became really good friends with the editor at the time. And he said, hey, when you're not doing anything, why don't you buy a camera and you come shoot for us on the side? You know, you seem to know what you want and what you're looking for as a racer, you know. So it was a pretty cool time because back then they paid for my film, and I learned on film, and I learned on black and white, which is what they had me shoot on for the first year. And so I really learned the craft of photography. And... You know, I did make a lot of money doing it. Uh, I'd make 25 bucks here, 30 bucks here, selling photos. And what I would do is I would just put it back into my camera systems, you know, just buy a flash, buy a lens, buy a filter, whatever. Um, and so that's what kind of led into my photography career. Um, and I did that from the, you know, 90s till about 2000. And in 2000, I finally decided like, you know what? I want to get out of the movie industry. I want to be a photographer. And at that time, I had enough money saved up to support myself for a year. And I'm like, let's give this photography uh, thing a try. And if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, well, then I got to figure something out. Back then when I started, there was actually 
a lot of magazine publications to shoot for. And it seems like, you know, now there's hardly anything. Everything's online, everything's Instagram. I can appreciate where it went. I'm not saying that I like it. I really liked having magazines and, and exclusivity deals with certain magazines not to go to the competition. And, you know, that stuff just doesn't exist anymore. Um, and actually, my first client was Maxis. So I'm going back maybe 15 years ago. Um, and that's how I started with them. And so what was your, what was your track like with Maxis? Like, what were you? What? Maxis. So they actually sponsored me when I was racing. Um, they were giving me my tires for my quad. And so that's how I started my relationship with them. And then when I started shooting for the magazines, um, a guy over there, I think, started taking notice to some of my photos and contacted me. And he's like, hey, would you like to shoot an ad for us? I'm like, yeah. You know, I didn't really, that was pretty exciting. You know, I never shot an ad specifically for a company. And I shot it and it ran in the magazine as a two-page spread or even full-page spread, stuff like, or excuse me, a full page. And that's how kind of, my photography career with Max has started and since then I've been through a bunch of different people that have taken over the position of you know media relations or PR or whatever that department may be and so luckily they've been contacting me you know throughout all the different changes which I feel pretty lucky about I mean for me Maxis has been just such an awesome company to support me like on my racing and giving me a lot of opportunities to shoot a lot of cool products, meet a lot of great athletes, and also take care of, you know, they've been taking care of me as far as like my cycling goes with tires and everything, which I feel, you know, super lucky to even have that kind of a contact, you know? I mean, they're, they have an amazing product and a very diverse line of tires. And so it's been a, it's been a great company to shoot for. And so how about your life now? What is your, what's your career looking like and where are you at? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, COVID was definitely, um, almost took me out. I mean, I had two years of barely any work. So it was uh, for a freelance photographer and someone who owns a small production company, it was pretty difficult. Luckily, I made it past that. Um, up before that point, I was actually really busy. I was shooting a lot for Kawasaki. I was with them for about uh, seven years, maybe. Um, I shot all of their press launches, all of their, um, a lot of their brochure work, some studio work, some video work. So I had a great stint with them. Uh, I've been with Yamaha for quite a few years, shooting a lot of their press launches as well um, and different things for them. Maxis, obviously. I have some outside the industry stuff. Uh, bicycle stuff, I was shooting for Bianchi. I was shooting for Yamaha bicycles. I did some work for Cannondale. Um, couple little things here and there for Trek. So I, I'm trying to do a little bit more in the bicycle industry because now it's, it's kind of my passion, it's my hobby. And I wanna be able to at least share my vision with people of how I view bicycles and the lifestyle and the technology and everything that goes along with it. Tell me about what you enjoy about the work that you do and why, why you've Man, stayed with it for so long. Great question. Um, I love photography and for me it started out as a hobby which turned into an obsession which turned into a passion and even though I am a full-time photographer I still enjoy go, going out and shooting photos. It's something that um, I'm still learning. I've been doing this for 25 years now and I'm still learning and I'm never going to stop learning and you know, I'm the first person who'll say that I get kind of bored with my style and I try to change it and be up with the times and I do a lot of research on other photographers on 
what they're doing, what the trends are. And I don't like to copy other photographers, but at least it gives me a, an idea of what the style is by what ads and images are being used. And for me, I think one of the special things about photography is that it's as close as you can get to looking out of somebody else's eyes and how they view something, whether it's a bicycle or a Coke can or just a scene. It's like there's no right or wrong way to shoot a photo. It's like that's how you vision what you're seeing. And I, I tell people that a camera is simply a device to capture how one envisions a subject. So for me, there's something pretty special about seeing other people's work on how they view something, you know? And it's just something I enjoy and I, I try to, you know, I've had a lot of big shoots, I've been very fortunate and there's been a lot of stress involved and a lot of people and a lot of money and it, it definitely takes the fun out of it a little bit because there's so much at stake. I still enjoy it and I do like those big productions, but for the small shoots that I go out with like a cyclist or a motorcycle and we go out and we talk and we have fun and we take it seriously but not too seriously like that's what I really enjoy it's just me and a buddy and a subject let's just go out and create and if my writer or subjects are having a good time it's going to show on film or digital and that's something to me that that makes me happy so you mentioned a growing passion for cycling talk talk to me about how you got into to cycling and where, cycling where you're at so how I got into cycling, I think like most racers, it's like once you kind of retire from racing, you need something else to do because that competitiveness never, it never goes away. And, you know, my racing career played a pretty big part of my life as far as now it got me my career. And so I, when I was working with the magazine, I hooked up with, the, with, a, with a guy, Bill Riddell, and he worked for Canada at the time. And Canada also came out with a motorcycle and an ATV at the time. So when they first started coming to us, he approached us when I worked at Dirt Wheels Magazine. Hey, you guys got to come check out this new quad and da 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 So we went out, I think we flew out to Pennsylvania, maybe. I might be wrong, but uh, we checked out the quad. We got to ride it. And that's when I also got introduced to Cannondale. Um, and he let me borrow a bike, a mountain bike. And I cruised around. And I've, I've always been into bicycles. Since I was a kid, BMX and that's what we did when I got home from school. We jumped on our bikes, we found jumps, we found curbs, and we just started riding. And that's what it was about. And so it's like, I kind of started my career with bikes, and now I'm like ending my career with, with cycling. And it's your first, I guess, real source of freedom as a kid. And as an adult, it still is. It's like, you can get away from life, and you can get on your bike, and you can, you, it's competitive, you meet friends, it, it, it's a great thing. But back to how I got into cycling. So he got me on, a, he took me on a, my first road bike ride and we actually left here from the Stone House and we did like a 20 mile loop. And after that, I was kind of hooked. And so I think now we're going back, I don't know, 15 to 18 years ago. And I'm still leaving out of here. I'm still doing that same loop. And that's how I kind of got introduced to at least road bikes, uh, was through him and through Cannondale. And, um, you know, again, it was just, it's just, such an awesome sport and it's not it, it doesn't matter how old you are like I, i've gotten my butt kicked seriously by guys way into their 60s and into their 70s so it's it's kind of motivating to know that you can do this for a long time right yeah i, I same thing for me like just riding with people who are <laughs> over twice my age and like getting absolutely destroyed it's so crazy that, 
What? It's humbling. Yeah, very humbling. It's humbling. Um, but also really encouraging knowing that your body can continue. If you maintain it and still exercise and stuff, you're able to maintain yeah. a high level of fitness. And, and that's the other thing, too. The, the, you know, obviously you don't want to crash, but the getting older, the, the cardio, the strength, the stuff you need just to survive, like, it's all there. I mean... You, you, it's it's great. I just turned. I'll be 51 in December, and you know every year I go to the doctor and get my checkup, and they're just like, you know, get out of here. We love you. And for me, you know, that's definitely a big part of it is is the health benefits from cycling as well. Not just the fun, but you're having fun and you're doing a lot of good things for your body. You're strengthening your heart, and you're strengthening your body and your legs, and it, it also teaches you like you know the pain, how to get past pain, and be stronger both physically and mentally. So I think with with cycling comes a lot of benefits to the sport as well, not just going out and riding. And some of them you might realize and some of them you might not realize all the things that are going on with your body. And you learn a lot about yourself, you know, heart rate, heart rate zones. You learn a lot about your body. You know, once you do it long enough, you can pretty much guess your heart rate as you're riding and how you feel. So, you know, there's... There's a lot, and, and again, like photography, you never stop learning with cycling. You mentioned that cycling was really, like, it's, it's the first source of freedom as a, a child, and I, I wanna get into young people and how growing up has sort of changed with the introduction of cell phones and all of that. Uh, so, so first, tell me about, like, what growing up was like for, for you. Did you, did you? Were you outside all the time? Yeah. Yeah, tell me yeah. about that I, Again, this is a subject that I, I kinda, enjoy talking about but it also kind of upsets me you know when I was a kid I'd come home from school and it was like get with your buddies there's no tv it was getting on our bikes it was riding it was having rock fights it was throwing picking oranges off my mom's tree and throwing them at each other building sketchy ramps and uh literally I remember taking milk crates and like a piece of wood about this big and making a ramp and starting at the top of my street with flip-flops on and shorts and no helmet and hitting that ramp as fast as I can. Would I do that now? No way. Would I change how I grew up doing that stuff? No way. I, I have a 14-year-old daughter right now and it's interesting to see the differences. Like for a while she was just stuck on video games and a lot of my parent friends, same thing, all their kids, they'd come home from school and they're on their video games and that's all they do. And for me as an athlete my whole life and my wife you know, an athlete as well, we kind of look at each other and we're like, is this our kid? Like, how, how, is, how is this? You know, we've got her into sports and gymnastics and different things and she's, she keeps busy with softball now, which we're happy about. But again, I think I look at kids today and how I was, you know, again, I, I bring up the thing, I'd much rather see her go out with her friends and have a rock fight <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, I can't tell, I've had my head split open and stitches and that was the way to grow up, you know? And I, now it's just the video game. And I, I, I had a friend tell me, explain it to me one way. She said, you know, it's instant gratification without having to get up and work for it. And to me, I, I thought about that for a minute and I was like, it makes sense. But, you know, again, I, it, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I never got into video games. I loved being outside and I loved playing with my friends. And even now, I can't wait. I mean, I'm 50 years old and I can't wait to go get on my bike with my friends. 
you know, and it's like the same phone calls being made now as it was back then. You call your friends up, hey, you want to ride? You know, so it's kind of funny. That phone call hasn't changed for me in 40 some odd years. I'm still making that same phone call, whether it was going racing or something. Hey, what are you guys doing this weekend? Want to ride? And I still do that and I still get excited about it and I still um, look forward to riding my bike. And going back to the, you know, some people, I'll tell them a hill I climbed or how far I ride, 60 miles, 100 miles, whatever. And they're like, that just doesn't sound fun. And yeah, there's times that it's not fun. What do you get out of it? And I'm like, you know, when you climb to the top of the mountain and you either PR it or you just do it with a friend, you have the sense of accomplishment. And for me, that's what I enjoy. The suffering sucks. There's no doubt about it. Cycling at times can suck. But when you get to the top and you finish it and you go back down to where you start and you have some food with your friends afterwards and you're hanging out and telling lies and all that stuff, that's what it's about, and that's what makes me feel like at least I accomplished something that day. You know, even in photography, I, I need that sense of accomplishment, and cycling definitely um, adds to that. And as far as the whole cell phone things and everything goes, like, yes, I couldn't do what I do with my career and everything else without cell phones. And I think that goes for all of us. Calendars, text messages, emails, Instagram, Snapchat, all that stuff. It's a part of our lives, and it's not going away, you know? Our computers are linked to our phones. I think it takes, you know, I love the phone and I hate it at the same time. I can appreciate the technology and what it's here to do for us, but I hate what it's taken away from society and how people portray social media as those are the standards that I have to, like, set myself to. I do it, I, you know, we all do it, and that's just, you have to change with the times, but with that comes a lot of negative stuff. I mean, people only put on there what they want you to see and they show you the best of everything and you think, wow, my life, this isn't it. But it's kind of like your own personal TV show. You make it to what you want and it's not real. So yeah, I, I have my love and hate with technology. What are some, like you kind of meant touched on this, but what are some things that are really good in your view about social media and what are things that are not and how can we sort of change course with those or can I we? think the benefits to social media like for me as a photographer it's my way that I can reach out to the world to show them my craft and what I do it is kind of like a check me out kind of thing and and you know I get sucked into that as well so it's like you know, certain people I follow, it's like, look at me, look what I'm doing. And it's only these great, awesome things. And yeah, we don't want to show the bad things. I mean, some people do like, you know, hey, my father passed away and it, maybe it's a way to grieve and to get feedback. Like, it's going to be okay with all the comments and stuff like that. Um, but for me as a photographer, Instagram is definitely a powerful tool to link you together with clients, athletes, people around the world to show them what you do. I mean, you have great feedback from people and you also of course have the haters there's no shortage of that it's hard not to take something like that personally sometimes because photography is such a personal um, personal thing at least to me it is and I think I can speak for most photographers as well um, so yeah there are benefits to it the downside of this is the distractions that come along with it Unfortunately, those distractions take place in a car a lot of times. So for me as a cyclist, this is a big deal. And it's a big deal for anybody that drives a car. You know when someone's texting or doing something stupid. So the fact that someone's life can uh, 
can end in a split second because of one message. And look, I'm guilty of it too. Um, I try not to, especially as a cyclist, I'm a little bit more sensitive to that subject, but there are a lot of downsides of it. It's like, even when you're hanging out with people, they're on their phone, you know, I mean, sometimes you recognize people by the top of their head because they're always on their damn phone. Again, I, I am guilty of that as well. It's something that I think is, uh, that's definitely, people are attached to this device now. And I, I think it's just taken away from everything. And it's very influential when it comes to politics and everything else. It's just, everything's driven towards what we see on this phone now. So it's, it's definitely has a, a lot of downsides to it as well. Yeah, you mentioned that our phones are distractions inside the car. And I wanna to talk, to, talk about distractions outside of the car in a second, but while we're on the car subject, um, when, when you're driving and you feel tempted or are, first of all, I appreciate you being open about, you know, we're all, we're all guilty of distractions in the car. Yeah. So I appreciate you being open about that, yeah. not saying like, oh, you know, I don't ever do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't not, say that. No. Um, what are the things that distract you when you're driving and like, what are the things that will pull your attention off the road? Definitely the phone. I mean, for sure. It's, it's you know, there's a thing where it's, it's almost a habit to where every few minutes you get sucked into like, I gotta go check Instagram, I gotta check something else. We all do it. Um, the distraction is the dings. You know, I think it, it definitely triggers something in our minds that like we have to reply right away. And if we don't, we're blowing that person off. Um, at least now with technology, it sort of helps like on my car, it goes into the screen. So I can, I can literally hit a button, which now I know where they're at. So it's not like I really have to glance over and it'll voice text me and I can voice back. That seems to help. So at least the car companies are kind of uh, acclimating to technology and the safety aspect of it. Um, something I try to do is like, you know, obviously I'm not going to answer a text message going around a Kirby Canyon. If I'm on a freeway and it's open and everything's flowing nicely and I feel that it is a safe time to maybe glance down or send a message out, yeah, I'm guilty of that. But I do try to take into consideration my surroundings when I'm doing that, you know. Yeah, and I, I totally understand the, the rationale behind like when you're going on a straight freeway and there's no one really on the road to feel like it's totally fine to be texting. And I think ideally we get the, get everyone to just, when they're in the car, nothing on your phone is that important. So I'm curious to hear like what, what would it, what would it take for you or for the average American who is guilty of using their phone in the car to just fully disengage from the phone distractions while you're in the car? You know what? It's so difficult. I mean, everybody is so tuned to have to be, we're in the day and age, we're in the day and age of communication and everything's gotta be instantaneous. And I think that's pounded in our head. What would take people away from that? I, man, I, that's a difficult question. I think it's, it has to do with each individual person, you know, having to um, either have a close call, unfortunately, to scare them, to say, okay, this is, this is not cool, something can happen. But again, with time, that memory of, oh, I almost got an accident kind of subsides and then you start again. So I think it just comes with self-discipline, you know? And again, as a cyclist, I'm very sensitive to it, even though, again, I'm guilty of it. I think most of us are, um, but I am definitely more aware of it than anything else, you know? And I try to do, you know, 
for me, like at a stoplight or if there's no traffic around, there's definitely a time and place to, I'm not saying that's really right to do it, but there is a better time to do it than I think, you know, not during in traffic, not bumper to bumper unless you're full, you know, there's a lot of things, but how do people disengage? That's a tough one. I think it's gonna be, it's really difficult for people to do that now. Yeah, I mean, like, what, would you say the same thing that you just told me if, if I was instead someone who, like, lost their parents to a distracted driver? Yeah, I mean, that's, again... Like, would you say, like, there's better times? And I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Because this, this is a hard there, thing to... There, it is a very hard thing. And there, realistically, if you're in a car, you shouldn't be, you, you shouldn't be texting. I mean, again, you can pull off the road if it's urgent and you see it pop up on your screen or if you're waiting for a message it pops up, yeah, the right thing to do is to pull over and, and make that call or send that text message out. You know, talking to somebody whose parents or, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, there was just a big accident right down the street from here that made news. Some woman who worked for a hospital killed two kids just down the street from here and it made news all around the place, like literally two miles from here. And I think for that particular one, she was drinking. I'm not really sure, but again, that's distraction. So, but the fact is on her conscience now, she's killed two people and now she's going to jail for the rest of her life. Was it worth it? No, no, human life is precious and we have one time on this earth. And um, again, hearing myself say this, um, and now getting older and seeing people around you pass away at an early age or get killed or riding your bike and seeing a white bike on the side of the road. And it, it definitely hits home for sure. Right. You know, and for me, again, uh, I'm guilty of it here and there, but I try to be as safe as I can and do it at a time where I know that myself or, you know, somebody else isn't in jeopardy of a crash. Right. Yeah, and I, I, again, see where you're coming from, Adam. I think my goal, the goal is to have everyone understand that, or I don't think the culture, it's, you mentioned drinking while driving. I, distracted driving is, is ju just, it's actually deadlier than drunk driving. Yeah. But the culture hasn't shifted the way that drunk yeah. driving has, because now it's not socially acceptable to have a beer in the car while you're driving. Right. right. So... I don't think the culture is going to shift to a point where distracted driving deaths are decreasing until people understand that or accept and embody that you can't, you should not and sh could not be using your phone in the car, even if it's safer, you know, because yes, 99% of the time when you're on that highway or if you're at a red light, using your phone, you like probably nothing will happen. But if variables line up in such a way, that yeah. could still result in, I, in the death. I mean, to answer your question, how to enforce this? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of TV commercials, don't text and drive. There's been a lot of news coverage. This person was killed. This person was killed. All because of something so stupid as sending a text message. I think, in my opinion, the only way to really stop something like this is for the companies to have, you know, we're all located, we all, all the phones have GPSs. They know whether you're moving or not. Is that, you know, it just, could this become a law? Maybe, 
Um, they've already passed the first law. I remember when text messages started happening, it was only a matter of time before they passed a law, no texting and driving. I think the only way to permanently stop this is that if the cell phone companies um, or manufacturers of cell phones have it when the phone is moving, it just, the messages get automatically put on hold until you come to a stop or something. Other than that, I don't know how else we can enforce this. I mean, how many people is it gonna take cyclists, people, kids to get killed before it reaches the masses? I mean, unfortunately, drunk drivers have been killing people since time has begun. Has it helped? All the commercials and all the spots and all the horrible news that you see on the 10 o'clock news every night? No, it hasn't done anything. But that's a person's choice, whether they're gonna go drink and make this stupid mistake and go out behind a wheel. As far as not being able to make that mistake on texting, yeah, the cell phone companies, manufacturers, Apple, Android, everything else, they could put a stop to it. Are they gonna get a lot of negative feedback from that? Oh, sure. You know, it's gonna go into these are my rights and da 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 da. That can open up another can of worms. But can it be stopped? Yeah, the cell phone companies could put a stop to it. That's the only way I think it can work. It's, it's like having a breathalyzer in your car. You know, it won't start if you're reaching it, you know? Right. And is that fair? Is that going into somebody's rights to do something? I don't know, but in well, my opinion, you, that's the only way it could get stopped. Well, you can make the counter argument is choosing to not pay attention to driving and killing someone an invasion of their rights to live. And that's just it. I think it's, 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 yeah, I mean, I have no right to take away somebody's life, you know, and neither does this person. And, right. um, you know, that would live with me horribly if, if I killed somebody. Not to mention, now my life's done. I'm going to be in jail for the rest of my life. Right. Was it worth it? And your daughter doesn't have a dad. And my daughter doesn't have a dad. And, again, hearing myself say that, um, you know, you think about it, but to actually hear myself say that, I think instantly it puts things into perspective, like right now in real time, like... You know, I, it's it definitely sometimes you got to say it to kind of refresh it and put it in your brain. So right. it's it's good to talk about this yeah. because I, I definitely can look at it now again in another way just by hearing myself say that. But, yeah, I think that's the only way to mass stop it is by companies saying something's moving. They know whether you're moving or not. Your phone turns off yeah. and you're going to get a lot of feedback. And I'm sure there's going to be apps where people are just like can get around it. There's always going to be something like that. But, you know. Yeah, and the, the frustrating thing for me, Adam, is that there, your phone has a feature that can automatically mm. silence notifications when you're driving, but they don't turn it on automatically. And most of the people that I've talked to during this project aren't aware of it. I didn't even know that until I saw it come up on your phone when I was trying to text you. It said something like, uh, he's driving now, I'll get back to you when it stopped. Like, I didn't even know that. That's yeah. Are you cool. Are you interested and willing to, to use it, at least for, you know? I'd, like, I'd try it out. Yeah. yeah, and I think, again, I'm guilty of it, and I think everybody is. So I think something like that happens, I think it would be interesting to try it out, for sure. Can we turn it on now? Sure, yeah. I'm driving with focus, turn on, okay, cool. Got that, and that's it. All right, let's try it out. And then, uh, yeah, depending on the car, you can have it uh, turn on automatically, like if, when you connect to your car's Bluetooth or CarPlay, whatever your setup is. Okay, done, I'm gonna try it out. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, because I, I didn't start using it until I started doing my big bike ride to raise awareness for this cause. Um, and the number of conversations that just those automatic text messages have sparked um, has been really cool because 
other people have started using it, and I think it's, 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 we have a long way to go to making progress. Does your message pop up after you stop? What do you mean? Like, when you get that text message, does it pop up? Or it's there, it just tells people you're driving now? Yeah, and then it shows up as I have an unread message from Adam when, I oh, get, when okay. I'm done driving. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. Yeah. That's good. No, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a helpful tool. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough problem, but I, I also really appreciate you, like, yeah. There, a number of people have said something similar, like verbalizing what they, the, the gravity of distracted driving is, is helpful to realizing it versus just like, you know, seeing a statistic like, oh, yep, another person was killed by a distracted driver. Like there's tons of those, you know? Yeah. Um, it, unfortunately, we're almost numb to that now. It happens so much and you see it so much and you hear about it so much that I think you're almost kind of numb to it in a sense. Right. Which, unless it happens to somebody that you know personally to where it really digs in deep, I think that's the only other way that you know, we, we, it really sinks in, you know? Right. Yeah. And the numbness is not helping because then people feel less. In, well, less it's just like everything else. Change. You get used to it. You get accustomed to it. It's no big deal, unfortunately. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, well, just a couple more questions, Adam. I want to talk about your daughter and her relationship to her phone and your observations of that as a parent. Cause you mentioned video <sighs> games, but the, the phone yeah, thing is. And you know, look, I'm just, I'm on my phone all the time. I, I'm searching through, Instagram, we've become programmed to just be on our phones all the time. I wish I can personally be better about not being all the time and being more present. I mean, it's, it's definitely an issue. Now that my daughter, she's 14, and during COVID, you know, the video game thing was a good thing because they couldn't go out with their friends. They would play um, different games and they'd meet in a virtual world and they'd just go around town and screw around in a virtual town and go play games and all that stuff. I get it. it, it did play its part then. Now she's on her cell phone, iPad, everything else. Uh, you know, I don't have her on Instagram yet, but she is a part of like, you know, Snapchat. She's always on with her friends. And again, she sees me with it and, and my wife. And so I guess it kind of makes sense for the kid to be on her phone. But, and I know it's different times than it was when I was younger, but I would personally like to see, you know, Again, sometimes I'll just catch her in a room, she'll stay hours and they're just on her phone, you know, either playing games, chatting with her friends. Um, sometimes it's just FaceTime conversation, like the other day they were playing guitar with each other on things. So there's some cool things you can do. Again, just being such an active person and especially getting older, I still wanna go do stuff. Even when I don't feel like it, I force myself to go out and go on a run or a bike ride or work out. Um, I would like to just, it's hard to see, you know, youth these days, um, you know, cause that's socially, that's what everybody does. They're on their phones all the time. I mean, I've seen a bunch of her friends come over to the house and play or in school and they're all on their phones together. And I'm like, what's up with that? You know? And again, we go out with our friends and we show each other's pictures. Like, look where I rode, look at my straw with this and that. But to me, that's more associated with activity. This is just their, you know, it, it's just, I don't know, I just see it is, I just enjoyed growing up, racing, riding my bike, doing gymnastics, all the fun things that I used to do with my friends, like, and coming home with skinned knees and beat up and tired, like, again, different times, we didn't have that technology, but I personally would like to see more, you know, activities, being social, being present with your friends and everybody else. And again, I'm guilty of it too, 
So I, I'm saying this, maybe not being so truthful to maybe myself, but I still get out and do stuff. Like I don't sit on my phone all day. When I'm done at the end of the night, yes, I do enjoy sitting on a couch, going through YouTube stuff. Most of the stuff I learn about things like buying a new camera, a new lens, a new bike, it's all done on YouTube, it's done through social media. So, you know, a little give and take there. That's how I personally learn. I'm just not one to picking up books and reading long stuff. I'd rather watch a YouTube tutorial on Photoshop or Premiere or cycling techniques or nutrition or fitness. That's how I get my information. So it has made things a lot easier. And there are a lot of benefits to a phone with voice texting for people who have a hard time spelling, myself, um, <laughs> you know, uh, stuff like that. So there are a lot of benefits to it, but I think there's that fine line between too much and not enough and using it as a tool, using it as fun. You can use your, the phone for a lot of things, but I think to sometimes, and again, when I'm on my bike, that's when I take everything into that there's more to life than just this. And I try to be more present when I'm on location on a photo shoot to take a couple minutes for myself and just like look around and appreciate the desert or the woods or a location or a rider or exactly, you know, I was shooting drag racing yesterday and just appreciating being out, experiencing something, you know? So those things I try to take in a little bit more and I think that also comes with age. You know, do you feel like your daughter and her generation have an understanding of the values that you have from growing up? And really I don't think now? at this age you do. I didn't. You're just very much in the present and you're thinking about like now, not later. And for me, getting older, I realized that, you know, I'm, you know, half of my life has already been lived and it's been an amazing life and I wouldn't change anything. But now I'm just trying to, in the world of, we're so divided. I'm not really one to talk about politics, nor do I want to get into it, but we're so divided as people, as far as religion, politics, sexuality. We're so, everything's just so, uh, seems like it's, it's very complex right now. So again, it's times like when I'm on my bike, mountain biking, where I, Nothing's, nothing's interfering with my brain. I'm just in nature with my buddies on my bike. And I think, you know, you're not thinking about that when you're a kid, you know? And I don't think you think about that until a little bit later on in life, unfortunately. Are you, are you like making efforts to help your daughter appreciate those moments where you have, where you feel present and you get it getting outside? Yeah, I mean, you know, she's really into softball. So that, that takes her away from the phone, you know, and, you know, we have a batting coach for her, we have a field coach for her, and she play, she practices with a team once a week and plays a game per week, you know. So, yeah, we try to encourage that as much as we can, you know, and she does go out, like, you know, today she'll go out, we'll take her to the mall with her friends and let them run around and we just kind of stay in the background because, again, with how things are, I don't want to just drop her off at a mall being 14 years old. I got to be somewhat around. Because if something goes down, you know, dad's got to be there and mom. So, uh, yeah, we, I mean, obviously we encourage her to go out and do stuff. I mean, I bought her a bike. We bought her skateboards. We bought her scooters. And it works for a week or two, and then everything's just in the corner. It's like, it's like, come on, let's go for a bike ride. I'm tired. Meanwhile, I just came back from a 60-mile, 5,000, 6,000-foot climb bike ride. I come home, like, let's go for another ride. It's like, hey, look at your old man. I'm 50 years old. Like, I just did three and a half hours of death 
let's go do something more, you know, and I would do it. It doesn't matter. Like my kid, I came home tired. She want to go for a bike ride. Let's do it. You know? So yeah, the encouragement is always there, you know, for sure. Especially now that she's at that age, but it's a different time. You know, this is how they grew up. We grew up with no cell phones to the first cell phone to, you know, if somebody told me when I was in high school that, Hey, we're going to have a watch that like James Bond, I'm going to be able to make phone calls, text messages, do everything I can from a watch. I never would have believed it. And here we are beyond James Bond stuff right now. You know, I mean, today's cell phones have more power than the first person, the first spaceship that took astronauts into space. I mean, think about that for a minute and we all have it and we have it on our wrist too. I mean, it's crazy. What's some advice that you would give to a young person uh, who's maybe caught up in the distractions of social media or being encouraged to do something that they don't want to do and they have this passion that they really want to pursue but just feels like everyone and everything in their life is pushing them in the opposite direction? I mean, that's just a thing. I, I think that as far as the cell phone goes, they've keyed into what triggers these endorphins in your brain that you have to keep up with what's here. What I would tell kids is, you know, again, I'm guilty of it too. When you post something, people are going to have comments. Some of them are going to be great. Some are going to be not so great. It's hard not to let those, the negative stuff affect you. You can get a lot of positive reinforcement by the, the positive comments, like that was a great photo, that was a great ride. But you have to look beyond that. And as a kid, you know, again, me growing up as a racer and everything else, it was an individual sport. I only did as well as I trained or as well as I believed. And I had to go out and earn that. And, you know, you have to block out the whole social aspect of what people think of you if you want to succeed in a sport, soccer, motorcycle racing, baseball, softball, whatever it may be. Yeah, there could be team sports, but it comes down to you as an individual. And you have to, you have to fight for it. I mean, the people that are in it are competitive. And it's, it's, you're going to get put in your place really quick as an athlete because there's always going to be somebody better than you. I mean, I, even with my photography, I mean, I have an ego about myself and I have a, uh, how I want to portray myself as a photographer. And I only want the best for me and my equipment and what I do for my clients. And it's, it's hard to, you know, you have to fight for that. And, there's, and it's humbling. There's always somebody better. Just when I think that I'm on top, you know, you go on Instagram and you see another photographer doing certain things and you're just like, man, you get put in your place real quick. And to me, that's what motivates me to fight even harder. And I think kids now really need to look into the negative comments and try to turn it around and put it in their face. I mean, that's what I've done my whole life. Somebody says, you know, he, he was, even lately, you know, I got my butt kicked by somebody climbing up a hill and it all week long, I was mad about that. The following week, we went out and rode. No matter what, how I felt, I was going to beat this guy. And I did. And it hurt. And it sucked. But when I failed, when this guy waxed me, like all week long, I was mad. But I knew I was going to see him that following week. And it's like, I got to try to fight past that. Like, if he's going to beat me up the mountain, he's got to beat me. You know? And that's the competitive side of it. And sometimes that's, that's great. And sometimes, like, I just want to have fun. But being a, you know, a racer my whole life, we're always, we're always racing. And so... Sometimes it's hard to go out and have fun because you have the competitive aspect to it. I love it, and I made a lot of great friends that way because sometimes they'll beat me, sometimes I'll beat them. Um, either way, it's, it's, it's going to make you stronger in the end, and I think people need to look at 
you know, their goals and, and try to do whatever they can in order to achieve them without worrying about the cell phone and what people say about them. And the negative stuff, use it as a positive and put it back in your face. I mean, that's all you can really do these days, you know? When are you happiest these days? Like, what are you doing? What's your... Good, good question. Yeah, I good mean... wrap-up question. <laughs> it's a good wrap-up question. What makes me happy? Um, not what makes you happy, because there's probably a lot of things. When are you, like, if you could, if you, like, when, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think, when are you happiest? I'm happiest, I mean, obviously family comes first, you know, I want everything to be, obviously, um, great with my family and everything else, but for me, I love doing what I do. I love working. It's getting that, it's, it's getting to work with amazing companies like Maxis and um, a bunch of my other clients and going out and doing photo shoots and getting great images. It's what I love. I mean, my hobby is my, my job. My passion is my job. And there's, you know, it's been difficult over the last few years because of technology getting as, as good as it is. You know, a lot of people take a lot of great pictures, you know, and it works for social media. I'm old school. Like I, when I take photos, everything's calculated. Lights measured. I know, you know, I, I always joke, I'm like, I can't tell you my times tables, but I can tell you camera math, inside, outside, left, right, Calvin's, uh, you know, I can tell you color temperatures and settings and this and that, just because I know it so well. And I, what makes me happy, I, I love shooting photos and I love the people that I meet. My, I'm happy when I'm on my bike with my friends. Again, having that feeling of freedom and not all the pressures of the world and life and everything else that goes along with it. I mean, to me, this is my happy part. This is what I like to do. You know, this is what I try to appreciate and take in. And, and these days, it's, it's, again, it's hard to, we've all gone a lot of dark places during COVID and everything else, and I'm not excluded to that. I mean, I, between COVID and I lost my dad, this year or last year and yeah it put me in a dark place you know and and the goal was how to get out of that you know and so it's looking for those happy moments um, and again getting older you learn more about yourself as you go along and that's what i've been trying to be better at i'm not saying i'm great at it but it's definitely something i'm i'm working towards you know is to find those happy moments and take things in and not so be so stressed out and crazed about everything else it's hard it's hard and I you know but I'm trying and I'm sure everybody else is you know it's all we can do is try and keep bettering ourselves right yeah that's it that's it I mean we have one life to live and and we need to try to take that in and cherish it and absorb it as best we can any closing thoughts, surprises, things you're looking forward to? Anything to wrap up here, Adam? Um, again, clothing, clo closing thoughts. I mean, for me, we More are talking a lot thoughts. about we are talking a lot about safety. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of drivers. Let's just recap on that because that's the primary reason we're here. And you know, almost every ride I do, we have a close call, and I hate seeing that. And I think drivers and cyclists, they just don't get along. They don't appreciate the side of the road there's been so many times when i've been literally there could have been a safe opportunity for a car to pass me yet they'll buzz me two feet away or three feet away at 60 miles an hour for for no reason for what you know and i would like to see more awareness in the cycling community 
you know, we all would. All of our, all the cyclists that I talk to want to be safe. So I have a lot of buddies that I ride with that just aren't doing road anymore. That we used to do road all the time because it's getting worse, and that and I'm seeing it getting worse over the years that I've been riding. And I don't want to say it's a numbers game, but it almost kind. Of, I don't like to think about it that way, even though that's sort of reality. Um, I definitely would just like to see more driver education that gears the everyday driver to cyclist and that there's nothing protecting us. You know, a motorcycle is dangerous as well, but at least dangerous as well, but at least they have power to get away from stuff. We are just sitting there. Our protective equipment, we have a helmet, you know, lycra just melts off when you hit the ground. There's no protective anything on us. We're exposed to all of the elements. There's nothing really else we can do. We can't gear up. It's just not no one's going to do it and it's just not how we ride. So I think just more education when it comes to cyclists, more commercials maybe, more people like yourself that are going around trying to educate society of the dangers of texting and driving and everything else, you know? I mean, I, I don't want to lose my life because somebody had to get a text message or they're just road raging on cyclists. We've seen that as well. We've seen people try to run us off the road purposely or people drive by and gas us with a diesel truck, coal rolling. I've had that happen a number of times. And it's just, it's vicious. And it's an attack on cycling, you know? I mean, we've had conflicts with cars and stuff like that. It doesn't have to be that way. And it's just, we're just here having fun and this is what we enjoy. Yet, every weekend, in the back of my head, I'm just like, you know, please keep me safe. I don't wanna go down this way. I don't want my kid not to have a dad because of my sport. Am I gonna quit riding because of that? No, I mean, this is my life, this is what I like to do. And I know there are risks. I try to, you know, I have lights on the front of my bike, on the back of my bike, and I only ride in groups. It's like riding by yourself, and I've done it by myself, a couple little things here and there where I feel it's safe, but something like out here, you know, again, this is a very friendly cycling community here, but there's still safety in numbers. And accidents still will happen in numbers, but at least I'm doing everything I can to reduce my visibility as a rider on the road, you know? And I, even when my wife's driving, when she sees a cyclist now, she'll get all the way over, away from them, or I'll, if she's not, I'll be like, hey, get over, there's a cyclist, you know? Yeah, I'm that guy, because I'm on the bike, you know? And so, there needs to be more awareness. Is it gonna do anything? I, I don't know, people are in their minds, and it, it might, just like everything else, it, it might affect them for a day or two, but is it gonna go across their, their minds all the time? No, it's just like when you lose a pet or a person, a family member, you grieve for however long it takes, and, but eventually it gets better and it gets better and you start, that memory doesn't go away, but it's less painful. And I think with cycling and education and stuff like that, it might affect for a little while, but will it stop totally? No, but at least you're doing your part and hopefully by me talking as a cyclist can do my part to help have some sort of um, impact on drivers that, you know, like we're here, we're human, we have families, we have wives, we have kids, we have pets, we have people who love us and for something so stupid to take that gift of life away because of a message or a drink to me is asinine. So, you know, closing thoughts, be aware that, you know, we're here, 
and we're human and we have families and I know you have to be somewhere, but take that extra second and go around us when it's safe or don't pass us around a blind turn, which I see on every ride. We'll probably see it today, unfortunately, you know? You know, it takes a second. Just wait one second. That is the difference between life and death. One second to get around a turn to see where it's open, where you can safely pass. Is that one second, that one second is priceless. There's no dollar amount that can bring that one second back if somebody's dead. And to me, that's, I, I mean, literally, one second is, is worth someone's life, no. So the only thing I can say is, you know, you don't have to be somewhere that bad, or you don't have to answer a message that fast. And so those are, I guess, my closing thoughts on the whole thing with riding and, and drivers and distractions, whether it's a cell phone or notes or, I mean, I've seen people putting makeup on and looking in the mirror and doing their hair while they're driving. I mean, come on, like, you know, what was your kid or husband or daughter that was killed because of that? And all lives have been changed across the board for something so senseless. All set. That's Thank that. You. Yeah. No, that was great. Let's go ride. Hello again. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Adam Campbell. Make sure you follow him on Instagram. He puts out some really impressive work. Just a humble guy, down to earth, um, and just a pleasure to talk to. ACP Lookbook, uh, and I'll leave that in the show notes so you can follow along. If you listened to the first episode of this podcast, you know that I said these are coming out weekly. But since that was recorded, we've shifted that to every other week, which is called bi-weekly. Fun fact, bi-weekly also means twice a week, and there's no way to distinguish between the two. It doesn't make sense. The English language has um, quite a few things in it that uh, uh, don't make sense. So it's bi-weekly, but um, just so there's no confusion, it's every other week. So we'll see you in two weeks. Make sure to subscribe to Eyes Up Life podcast right here where you're listening to it and follow Eyes Up Ride and Maxis Tires on Instagram. Lots of interesting things going on. I'm getting out into the speaking world. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing uh, talk about living eyes up, feel free to message me on Instagram or send me an email, ben at eyesupride.com. Thank you. Have a good day, guys. Live eyes up. We'll see you soon. Well, you'll listen to me soon. Okay, bye.